So this is verse 12, chapter 1 of Philippians. Listen to the word of God. And I'm actually going to read 1 through 20. I mean, um, 12 through 20. I added the verse. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole uh, imperial guard, which is the Praetorian guard. If you remember your Roman history, that's uh, the special Caesar guard that was, it's kind of like the secret service by this time. But they protected the emperor and the royal family. But throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters have been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Now, some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that my, my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I joke all the time, Laura and I always have trouble figuring out a movie. We, 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 we want to see a movie, but we can never quite figure out which movie we could see. We were in Bennington yesterday, and we thought, hey, we could go see a matinee. And she goes, oh, what's this movie? It's, it's called The Disposables, part four. She goes, should we go see that? I go, obviously, you don't know what that movie is, because it's a worn-out movie with Sylvester Stallone, and it, they probably should never have been Disposables, part one, but now they're at part four. And it's really easy to kind of demean the state of movie making. They're either some form of the Marvel comics or you know, the, the, uh, some superhero or some buddy movie where lots of people get killed. But, but every time I get on my high horse culturally, I'm, I'm reminded, first of all, I'm reminded I'm from West Virginia, so I have no business being on any cultural high horse. That's, <laughs> that's the first thing I remember. The second thing is that really, there's probably only two, ver there's only two stories throughout history, right? Some version of Romeo and Juliet, right? Some, some uh, ill-fated love. And the other is a bunch of guys going somewhere to fight and die and then try to get home, all right? Which is the Iliad, right? The, maybe the greatest, the first and greatest epic ever told. And the Iliad is basically a bunch of meathead guys killing each other, right? It's basically, it's just a more sophisticated version of, um, of, of Sylvester Stallone. And you, you remember Achilles and you remember Hector um, and Odysseus, of course. But this, maybe the second 
most successful fighter other than Achilles is Ajax. Okay, now you, Ajax is just not a cleansing. Uh, it was named after Ajax. And if you describe, how do you describe Ajax? Ajax is kind of like the rock without a personality and like Gronkowski, Gronk, but only dumber than the Gronk, all right? So that's kind of how you, Ajax. At any rate, and he's fear, he's ferocious and he, all kinds of things. He almost kills Hector multiple times. He protects the Athenian or the Greek um, ships from being burnt by the Trojans. And after Achilles is dead, there, there's an argument over who should get his armor, which remember the, his armor had been forged by the gods. And so they decide that they're going to have a debate between Odysseus and Ajax. Okay. Well, you can probably guess who won that debate. Okay. Ajax had trouble putting a couple Greek words together. Now what's interesting is Ajax losing this. Here's a man who had fought all kinds of battles, but losing this debate sent him into a rage of madness. And I won't go through all the things he did while he was, was mad, but he eventually takes his own life. And the terrible irony is all this was about armor. And Ajax succumbs to a foe which no piece of armor could have protected him from. Ajax dies because of his own envy, rage, shame, and regret. Ajax will be the, not the last person who poisons their brain and their body and their life because of envy and regret. You know, envy is such a destructive vice. For a while, there was a debate whether envy or pride was the original sin. Pride eventually wins, but I would argue that envy uh, is as bad, if not even worse. Now, what's interesting is envy is actually the core of postmodern economics. We don't really make anything anymore. Well, here in Vermont, we make stuff, right? Cheese, maple syrup, um, stuff, right? We, we do some stuff, and I love buying from local people. But overall, our economy is based on, on consumerism, right? right? That's what we, we do. So consumerism is driven by, you need that. You've got this, but your neighbor has that. And you need that too. Okay. Apparently in Vermont, it's Subarus. Right? <laughs> which which I, I had a Subaru before I got here. I love the Subaru, but I do find myself often going out into the parking lot unable to find my car, right? <laughs> right? So envy, we need to have it. You need more stuff. I know you've got stuff now, but you need more stuff. You have stuff, but you need better stuff. Right? You remember that George Carlin uh, did a routine on that, right? By the way, American Christianity was born a little bit on the same principle, right? Because we don't have a state church. So how do you get people in your building? But that's a different story. I'll, I'll save that to talk to preachers about that. Um, but that's, this idea of an envy is such a, such a dominant force in human beings makes Paul's attitude both surprising and refreshing, right? It's very Christ-like. Remember, Jesus said, Who's never not, whoever is not against us is for us. And Paul is saying, if they are indirectly 
for Christ, then I don't care if they're against me. This is a remarkable attitude even for someone we call saint to have, right? Paul is literally in prison. He's in chains. That's what the word says. And he opened up this letter we talked about last week. He says he's a slave of Christ. So here's this guy who's in prison. His self-understanding is that he's a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ. Paul's Christian opponents okay, are using his hardship to advance their own ministries. The one thing the Bible is really clear about, people of God have never been very good. Okay, You say, I wish we'd go back to the old days. Well, then you haven't read your Bible. Okay, because the, the old days are pretty, pretty bad. And so, you know, the, the Jesus movement is only 20 years old and already Christians are trying to hurt each other. So we're consistent. That's one thing we are. We're consistently bad as Christians. All right. But Paul embodies a kind of freedom that only exists in a soul that has yes, said yes to grace. Paul is totally free because he said yes to grace. Probably the first, one of the first letters Paul ever wrote was Galatians, and he says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. But then he goes on, but use your freedom as an opportunity to love one another. And he's doing that here. Regardless of what other people are doing, why they're doing it, even though he's facing um, perhaps an imminent death, he's happy that the cause of Christ is going forward. And the freedom of grace can lead us to this kind of holy detachment from the world and the circumstances. Now, what do I mean by holy detachment? It's not denial, right? It's not living in denial. It's certainly not the power of positive thinking. And it's not some kind of stoicism, which was a rival, if you would, um, religious ethical sentiment. And stoicism and Christianity, you know, certainly borrowed from each other, but it's not a stoicism. Thomas Burton defined this holy detachment this way. Detachment from things does not mean setting up a contradiction between things and God, as if God were another thing and as if creatures were his rivals. We do not detach from things in order to attach ourselves to God, but rather we become detached from ourselves in order to see and use all things in and for God. In other words, by saying yes to God, everything else gets ordered in its proper place. That's a really important thing. I think that's why sometimes Christians don't get this nuance. It's, it's not... It's not really devaluing everything else. It's just knowing what's most important. It's holding on to what can't take and be taken from you. I've used this quote before, but Kierkegaard said, nothing can give you ultimate happiness that you can lose. And what can you lose? About everything, right? Right? Except God's grace. <clears throat> Even, you know, if we stop and think about the temptations of Jesus, we talked about these last year. Bread's not bad, right? <laughs> and Jesus was hungry. We're all going to have lunch probably. That's a good thing. But we are more than our appetites. That's what Jesus is saying there. And we're to love our neighbor 
But we're just not to jump off pinnacles of temples in order to try to win their approval. And we need to say no, just like Jesus said no to the devil, to try to gain or use power as an end of itself. There are hundreds of people that are going to die today because shadow men are trying to gain power just for power's sake. People willing to destroy this country just for the sake of of having power. Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. We live in a day where many Christians have either seemingly lost their minds or lost their tongues. Unfortunately, the people who've lost their minds are talking. (laughs) That's the problem. That's the problem, yeah. See, the church, and when I mean the church, I don't mean our church, I mean all Christians, the body of Christ. The church in our day needs the wisdom to know what's really important and the courage to speak the word. to a world that desperately needs to hear it, even if they don't necessarily want it. Um, You know that I've been involved, well, maybe you don't know this, but I've been involved in Jewish-Christian dialogue for almost 20 years now, and when I was in seminary, my professor of blessed memory, J. Christian Becker, who had been as a teenager in in a Nazi slave labor camp, He was Dutch and he had been taken and he almost died in a a slave labor camp in Berlin. Um, So he wasn't just interested in this theologically, but he had almost died and he had seen his neighbors sent to gas chambers. So he felt very strongly about this. And he was one of the world's leading experts on Paul. He was a character too. I always describe him. If you picture Hans Christian Andersen on acid, uh, that was J. Christian Becker. (laughs) He was a wild man, yeah. Anyway, but he told us he went to this uh, national or international Jewish Christian dialogue, and I, I will not, I will, I will uh, he's, you know, this comic, manic uh, Dutch accent. He's saying, and all oh, the Christians are going, shalom this, shalom that, and bowing things. And finally, this ancient rabbi looked at us across the table. The Christians were on one side, and the Jews were on the other side. And he goes, why don't you Christians ever talk about Jesus? Our commitment to interfaith relations is not a substitute to a, the gospel of Christ. It is a function of it. Let me say it again. Our commitment to interfaith relationships is not a substitute for a commitment to the gospel of Christ. It is a function of it. As T.S. Eliot once said, Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. And I think we need to 
to develop a new courage, a courage of conviction, a courage to speak the word of God's truth in a, in a, a desperately lost and angry world in such a graceless age. What's it mean to have courage? What, what is that? Because that's really, you see what Paul has here is courage, right? He's a man of courage. He's been set free and he has courage. I wrote an article a number of years ago and at the center of this article was um, a young man named Evan Brady. Um, when I first saw Evan Brady, he probably was the best 13-year-old lacrosse player I'd ever seen. And um, he got recruited to go to a prep school, uh, played football that year, had a, had a slight injury, and they discovered that he had bone cancer. And so for his entire high school career, he fought bone cancer, and he never got to play the game that he loved at a, at a higher level. Um, and it's a, uh, I, I won't go into all the details of the story, but people would come up to him because he, he kept having surgeries and he had to lose part of his leg. And yet he was out there all the time and he, they made him a, kind of a coach on the soccer or on the lacrosse team. And you'd always see him out there and people would come up and try to say, oh, you have so much courage. Or he, he never wanted to talk about what he was doing. He said, this is just something I have to do. I'm not a hero. This is just something I have to do. There are a lot of bad things that can happen to us that are beyond our control. But because Christ has given us freedom to face anything, then we can face everything with courage. There are some things we just have to do in this life. Some things we don't chose. There are roads that we have to walk down. That are not pleasant. That do not have happy endings. They happen in our personal lives, in our careers. Horrible things happen to the people we love. You can do everything right in work and still get laid off the next time they decide to do budget cuts. Your life may not turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. We all have different roads we walk down. But because God is for us, we have the freedom to face anything and everything with courage. And courage is contagious, right? Paul tells us that. Paul's courage in facing what ultimately will be his death, rather than making other people afraid, emboldened them. There are a lot of things happening out there. <laughs> but God is for us. And with courage and with hope and with grace, we will face them together and share the good word that empowers us to do that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Amen and amen. I invite you to stand together and say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.